Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, two major developing stories tonight. First, the Supreme Court weighing in. The justices sending strong signals about how they'll rule in that Colorado ballot case. The attorney who argued before the highest court to kick Trump off the ballot is out front tonight. Plus, no charges. The special counsel in the Biden classified documents case says the president didn't break the law. But his report now raising questions about Biden's memory. And if it's election night, it's John King night. He's going to be at the magic wall. The winner of Nevada may be already baked in, but there are important things to know. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. And out front tonight, we begin with the skeptical Supreme Court. An historic hearing in Washington and an ideologically divided Supreme Court seemingly unified in questioning whether Colorado can kick Trump off the 2024 ballot. The reason, of course, Colorado is trying to do that is because of the insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment. The nine justices, the Supreme Court had tough questions about the wisdom and effect of disqualifying the Republican frontrunner. We've been told that if what Colorado did here is sustained, other states are going to retaliate and they're going to potentially uh, exclude uh, another candidate from the ballot. What about that situation? Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation? Your position has the effect of disenfranchising uh, voters to a significant degree. But then why didn't they put the word president in the very enumerated list in Section 3? They were listing people that were barred, and president is not there. And president is not there. I, I want to point out again, of course, that was Ketanji Brown-Jackson nominated by President Biden. That was Brett Kavanaugh nominated by Trump, Elena Kagan nominated by Obama, and Samuel Alito nominated by George W. Bush, right? Four different presidents nominated those four different justices. All of them, conservative and liberal, expressing skepticism as to whether Trump should be removed from the ballot in Colorado. But the lawyer arguing to keep Trump off the ballot, which was a decision, of course, uh, made by the Supreme Court in Colorado, the highest court in that state, answered each of those questions trying to make his case. The framers were concerned about charismatic rebels who might rise through the ranks up to and including the presidency of the United States. Now, in a moment, I'm going to speak to the attorney that you just heard there, Jason Murray, who, like the rest of the country, is now waiting for the Supreme Court to likely fast track a decision, a decision that could affect this entire country. And it is a decision that the former president also believes will go his way. In watching the Supreme Court today, I thought it was very, it's a very beautiful process. A beautiful process when it goes his way, appears to. Trump didn't stop there, though. He then went on to repeat a litany of lies. Because I think it's an insurrection caused by Nancy Pelosi. Of course, that's false. 
it was an insurrection, which there were no guns. That's false as well. It has been proven in court. Some of the people who illegally entered the Capitol uh, grounds on January 6th were armed with guns. Well, Jessica Schneider begins our coverage out front live outside the Supreme Court on this historic day. So, Jessica, you know, we, we, we heard the audio there. We heard what happened today. What happens now? Well, you know, Aaron, the justices really could move quickly here. Consider this. Back in the year 2000, when they heard Bush v. Gore, they decided that case one day after the oral arguments. Now, granted, that was a completely different scenario. The inauguration was just weeks away, but time is still of the essence here. We are in primary season. The general election isn't that far away. And really, the thing is, if whether it's weeks or days, it really does seem like these justices will be coming down on Trump side, Aaron. Stiff resistance from conservative and liberal justices on the Supreme Court, pushing back against arguments for taking Donald Trump off the 2024 ballot. It'll come down to just a handful of states that are going to decide the presidential election. That's a pretty daunting consequence. Chief Justice John Roberts led the sharp questioning, asking whether individual states should be able to decide for themselves which candidates are ineligible for office based on the Constitution's insurrection clause. The 14th Amendment says certain elected officials, including an officer of the United States, are prohibited from holding office if they have engaged in insurrection against the United States. Several of the conservative justices warned that allowing states to decide could create chaos. There will be conflicts in decisions among the states. The different states will disqualify different candidates, uh, but I, I'm not getting a whole lot of help from you about uh, how uh, this would not be an unmanageable situation. Even liberal justice Elena Kagan expressed concern. Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation. The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled Trump engaged in insurrection on January 6th and that he should be removed from the state's ballot. But there was little discussion during arguments before the high court about Trump's role on January 6th and his ultimate responsibility, his lawyer only arguing that it wasn't even insurrection. You say um, it did not involve an organized attempt to overthrow the government. For an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort. So Riot the point that is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No, we didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either. Justices also debated whether courts even have a role to play in this decision. Justice Brett Kavanaugh asked whether Congress should be enforcing the insurrectionist ban instead of courts. It's one of the off-ramps the Supreme Court could choose to take with a narrow ruling that avoids confronting weightier issues. These are difficult questions, and you look right at Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, as the Chief Justice said, and that tells you Congress has the primary role here. So really, the Supreme Court doesn't need to get to those core issues or those, those core decisions in this case, those being, you know, whether there was an insurrection, Aaron, or whether Donald Trump may have committed an insurrection. Instead, there are several questions that do provide that off-ramp. You know, does the court even have the jurisdiction, or is this really Congress's role? Does the 14th Amendment, Section 3, even apply to the presidency? So there are a lot of uh, choices that the Supreme Court can make to not decide the big issue here, but really, all signs do point to the majority of the justices giving Trump a win here. Aaron. 
All right, Jessica, thank you very much. Outside the Supreme Court, and I want to go now to Jason Murray, the attorney who argued today inside that building before the Supreme Court to bar Trump from the ballot. And I'm glad to speak with you again, uh, Jason. I know this was uh, a momentous day uh, for the country and, and certainly for you. I know your first time arguing before the Supreme Court. Uh, one can only imagine what that is like. You were in front of two justices you had clerked for, Justices Kagan and Gorsuch. What was the whole experience like? Well, it's always an amazing experience to, to be up before a court and especially the U.S. Supreme Court. And, and there's a certain sense of pride in being able to argue in front of my former bosses. Uh, it was certainly intense. I didn't expect them to pull any punches on a case of, of this magnitude. And certainly they didn't. But we never expected that the court would be willing to do a, a hard thing like this without asking really hard questions. And they did ask hard questions. I don't know how much you heard there, because I know you've, you've had a day. Um, but we were playing some of the questions and, and skepticism that was expressed from the conservative judges, but also from two of the court's liberal judges who expressed uh, skepticism at the arguments that you were making to, uh, to uphold the Colorado Supreme Court ruling. Here's some of what they said. This question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president again is, you know, just say it, it sounds awfully national to me. The thing that really is troubling to me is I totally understand your argument, but they were listing people that were barred and president is not there. So, Jason, what specifically did you hear from the justices that gives you hope that they will rule in your favor when obviously we did all hear the skepticism expressed there? Well, certainly, I think the hardest questions that they asked were questions about whether the states have a role to play here in enforcing mm. uh, disqualifications for, for the presidency. There is a long history of states excluding ineligible candidates, whether it's because they are underage or foreign born or, or fail to meet other qualifications for office. I do think there was some sense that maybe this provision of the 14th Amendment should be different. Though I think when the court digs into that issue, they're going to be hard-pressed to, to articulate a reason why this qualification should be different. And mm -hmm. under our system, states run presidential elections. So, you know, the normal way these things work is that states decide who goes on the ballot based on who can show that they meet the qualifications for the office. And if you are an insurrectionist who violated your oath to the Constitution, our Constitution says you don't get to run again unless you have amnesty. So I'm hopeful the court will see that, but certainly that was the, the big pressure point today. And, and Jason, obviously this is the first time you've had a chance to, to do an interview and talk about what you just went through uh, in that room. So some of those, um, the skepticism that was expressed that I played, one of the points uh, was from Justice uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson. She said, but why then didn't they put the word president in the very enumerated list in section three? She continues to say they were listing people that were barred and president is not there. I wanted to give you a chance, since you were in that room, to tell you, how did you rebut that particular specific question uh, from Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson? Well, the main reason why the presidency isn't listed in the 14th Amendment is because it's so obviously included. The 14th Amendment covers senators and representatives who aren't office holders in a technical legal sense, and it covers presidential electors who are not office holders, and then it covers anyone who holds any office under the United States. And we all know the president holds an office. He swears an oath of office. The Constitution calls the presidency the office of the president of the United States. Hmm. And the history is very clear that people at the time knew that phrase referred to the president. 
you know, one thing everybody knew, including opponents of the 14th Amendment, was that rebels like Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis, the head of the Confederacy, couldn't have any office, including the presidency, unless they got amnesty. And and historically speaking, that point was well understood. So, Jason, one other question, because you obviously clerked, as you pointed out, uh, you know, the pride you felt that... uh, arguing in front of justices for whom you had clerked, including Gorsuch and Kagan. Justice Kagan's question goes at what you said what was what you felt the, the biggest challenge they presented today was why one state should be making a decision uh, for, the, for the country, right? The national versus, versus state, the federalist question. Justice Kagan says, why should a single state have the ability to make this determination not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation? You got that question from a justice uh, you know well. Uh, you had clerked from her. Uh, what did you say there and what did you read into if you were able to read anything into how she took it, how she responded? Well, the point we tried to make in response is that this is not Colorado deciding this question for the nation. We are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to decide this question for the nation because this is a federal constitutional question. And the U.S. Supreme Court is the last word on whether or not Donald Trump is qualified or not under our Constitution to hold office. And certainly it comes up to the court through Colorado courts, and and that's how big cases come up all the time, is, is, is through the state courts. But we tried to make the case that this is a time for the Supreme Court to rise up to a pivotal moment and enforce the Constitution, even when doing so is incredibly difficult, and even when doing so is incredibly controversial. And I'm hoping that that point landed. All right. Well, Jason, I very much appreciate your time. I'm glad to talk to you again. uh, And thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Jason Murray, as I said, was the one who made the argument, responded to all those questions uh, in the Supreme Court today. And everyone's with me now. Ryan Goodman, you just heard Jason talking about what he thought was the key pushback of the day from the justices on on one state and the country, his response to it, and also his response to the officer question, which was he said it was too obvious essentially, to be included. Of course, the presidency is included. What do you make of of those, you know, his responses that he gave to the justices' questions? So I thought he had a bad day, maybe just a weak case. It's hard to argue the case, but it was even worse than he described it in a certain sense. I don't think the judges were, justices, were just focused on whether or not states can do this. Mm -hmm. Their questions, including from the liberal justices, were about how they should overturn the Colorado Supreme Court. And that's when they brought up, like, Uh, Justice Jackson actually said, well, if we overturn it this way just for the states, won't we still have left behind the federal courts able to try to keep him off the ballot? In other words, they've already somewhat decided the outcome. It already seemed that they were at a procedural juncture as opposed to a, you know, figuring out the merits. Yeah, like lost on the merits and let's now fine tune exactly how we're going to impose the remedy and just how we can make sure that it's just cleaning the entire slate apart. So I don't think it was a good day for him. I do think that he tried to make those arguments as best he could, but it looks like a 9-0, maybe an 8-1 decision. And if it's 8-1, who's the one? If it's 8-1, then I think it might be Justice Sotomayor. Justice Sotomayor, right. When, obviously, yeah. we didn't play her play yeah. her amidst that. Um, I, I will say, Basil, that is what, what Ryan is saying is not um, out of the ether, right, right coming right. into this. Right. Uh, so I think there are many attorneys, Ryan included, Ty Cobb included, who's coming up, who would say Jason Murray had a, had, had, was dealt a poor hand today. Mm. But nonetheless, what do you make of the situation? And, and the point that Ryan just said, that it appeared from some of the questioning that they were focused on the procedural ways to overturn as opposed to the merits. Well, the word or the term that comes up often is off-ramp. They're trying to find a way out. And, you know, Jason makes some compelling, I can't speak to the legal parts of it, but, you know, if you're just listening to Jason, 
okay, yeah, we, you know, and understand it. We actually, it actually makes sense. But I think we all recognize the gravity of what the Supreme Court is being asked to do. Because even if you're, and, and quite frankly, I had a lot of my liberal friends wondering why Justice Jackson was asking the questions that she was asking, because they seemed more pro-conservative, pro-GOP, more on the Trump side. And, I, and you know, my, my response is, this is a very serious issue, and if we decide it one way for Donald, with respect to Donald Trump, always ask yourself what happens in the reverse. What happens when the tables are turned? Is there a situation where we would want this to occur among Democrats with anybody mm-hmm. running for a president or any other any other race? And yet, Scott, I will say, you know, if you just take everything out of it, all politics out of it. There is a level that has always seemed to me of absurdity to suggest that a president um, would be allowed to try to overturn an election and that wouldn't be an officer, right? I mean, I understand there you got to have a conversation about it constitutionally. There is certainly just a level of common sense to it. Yeah, this is a non-legal opinion. I I think the president is an officer of the United States. That's my. This is the non-legal side of the table. (laughs) We're in agreement on that. (laughs) But number two, you know, this man was investigated for insurrection and was not charged with it by the special prosecutor. Now, he is about to stand trial, I think, uh, for uh, things that happened on January 6th, but they didn't charge him with the specific statute that has the word in it that is in the Constitution. And I always thought that was, you know, for the layperson, that was the best argument was how can you toss him off for insurrection when they didn't even charge him with it? Right, right. And and they're... There's something to be said for that. Now, can we also talk about the where we go from here? As Jessica was laying out, she gave the example of what had happened in Bush, Bush v. Gore, mm-hmm. that they made a decision in just a day. Uh, do you expect something like that in this case or no? I do expect something within the next, let's say, two weeks, but it could even be within the next day or a few days because the answer is so clear. It's not like they have to build consensus. And there's an interest, there's a public interest in them deciding quickly just so that Mm -hmm. we reduce any chaos. There are other cases that are percolating up through the courts. They can just say, stop. Um, This is decided. He's on the ballot. Is there there a possibility if this goes the way that it appears it will go? And who knows, right? You got a 9-0 or an 8-1 or whatever, if it goes that way. Is there something, Basil, that, that gives you any hope in that? in the sense of Trump calls this a beautiful pro- whatever. <laughs> if it were going the other way, it would be rigged. But I raise this very importantly. Yeah. If you're going to have liberals, some of the most liberal justices on the court, vote to keep Trump on the ballot, right. does that in any way take the wind out of the sails of the corrupt justice system and the rigged and the broken institutions? Does it do that? Well, it, it certainly puts wind under Donald Trump's sails because he'll say, Look! Look at how they tried to come after me. The Supreme Court of the United States, the the, the right. Supreme he'll Court, they'll seize it for what it is. The justices I appointed helped make the decision to push away all of the liberal, you know, sort of angst against me. And quite frankly, I wanted to just say very quickly, what he'll do also is draw the line through. You see how they got it right in this instance. That's why you need to elect me because we can do mm-hmm. more of that for the rest of the country. Does it break through with any of his base that maybe the system in this country is something? that can work and be proud of? Uh, well, it, it depends on the day, right? <laughs> I mean, is it going my way today or not? I, I think, though, we can all take great comfort in this. I view today as the beginning of the great debt clearing. This is going to go away and we'll stop talking about it. The courts have, I think, decided and will continue to decide that the president is not immune from prosecution. So that moves ahead. That moves the January 6th case ahead, Yep. which then can take place. And ultimately, who benefits from all this? The American voter. Well, so that uh, they know exactly what they're dealing with. 
when they go to vote in November. I think to, to not have some of this, most yep. of it resolved before that would be a travesty. I'll just say very quickly, one of the things that you do raise that I do think about is how much the courts are affecting this election, yeah. whether it's Supreme Court or federal court, how right. much they are impacting this election. Isn't this what we were, A, trying to avoid after, after 2000, and B, this is why focusing on judges is so important. All right, well, yes, and we've seen that. All right, thank you all very much staying with us. Our breaking news coverage continues this podcast is supported by sleep number quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature quiets their snores sleep number does that only sleep number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support your sleep number setting Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The White House tonight is slamming a special counsel report on Biden's handling of classified documents. No charges were filed, but it shined an explicit light and it used the word memory in talking about Biden's memory lapses. Plus, Putin talks to Tucker Carlson. We'll tell you if there's any news in the two-hour extravaganza and the message that Putin was trying to send through Carlson. And election night in Nevada, why even Republicans are calling the contest rigged for Trump tonight. John King is out front. Breaking news, a special counsel finding that President Biden willfully retained classified documents, but that he will not be charged. The DOJ releasing new images of the documents found at Biden's home in Delaware. This mangled box was in the garage. Inside were several folders which contained documents related to Afghanistan and also notebooks full of classified information Biden says he used for a book he was writing. Now, obviously one of the most important things here still remains this, that Biden voluntarily handed everything over to investigators. And while the special counsel said that charges are not warranted, Robert Hurt did raise questions about Biden's memory. In the report, the special counsel wrote specifically, quote, Mr. Biden's memory was significantly limited and said, among other things, quote, he did not remember when he was vice president. Evan Perez is out front. Uh, and Evan, um, unclear what was being said there, wh whether that was a, a real comment about memory or a comment about people being evasive in depositions. Uh, the I don't recall that uh, that is so common deposition. What more can you tell us about this report? Well, Aaron, this is a very tough report for the, the, the president and certainly for his uh, for his re-election campaign. But what the, the the important part of this is obviously the finding that uh, Robert Hur says that they've they've uncovered they uncovered evidence that the president willfully retained classified information, and also that he shared that classified information. He shared that information with a ghostwriter who was helping him uh, write a memoir back in 2017. That he had these documents. He knew he had classified documents according to some of the evidence that they uncovered. That he knew he had that had this uh, this uh, classified information. Uh, in his home when he was a private citizen and not no longer vice president in 2017 but 
Uh, importantly, Robert Herr also found that uh, he didn't believe he could. He found enough evidence to be able to sustain a prosecution of the president of the United States, and that goes beyond saying that even if there wasn't a prohibition on, on bringing charges against a sitting president, he believes there was not enough evidence to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Joe Biden knew he was violating the law. And a number of things, not only is his memory, but also uh, they say that uh, some of the notes that he took, he believed he was entitled to bring home. Yeah. All right, so Evan, I wanna read something from the actual report. It says, Mr. Biden was emphatic, declaring that his notebooks are my property and that every president before me has done the exact same thing. Uh, then after President Trump was charged with mishandling classified documents, which, of course, uh, was um, by, by nature a, a, a much, much bigger thing, uh, right. he said this. They did the Presidential Records Act. I have the right to take stuff. I have the right to look at stuff. And now, Evan, obviously, there's so many huge differences in these cases, huge, all right? right? And yet, you are going to have a narrative from some, Trump was charged and Biden wasn't. Okay, there we are. We know that. Right. That's the country we live in right now. Can we just be clear what the differences are between the two cases? Well, you can also, you know, we can certainly direct people to this report by Robert Herr, again, somebody who was appointed by Donald Trump uh, during his administration to be a U.S. attorney. In his report, he also lays out the big differences between this investigation. Joe Biden uh, invited the FBI to come and do searches. Uh, he turned over information, turned over the classified documents as soon as they were uncovered, called the FBI and had them come over and retrieve it. Uh, uh, you know, in addition to that cooperation, which stands in contrast to Donald Trump, who not only uh, refused to comply with a subpoena for the return of those doc for, uh, documents from his home in Mar-a-Lago, but also allegedly told people to lie and try to move documents so the FBI couldn't find them. So huge, huge distinction that Robert Herr himself points out in this report, Aaron. All right. Thank you so much, Evan. John Avalon's with me. Basil Smigel and Scott Jennings are, are back as well. So, John, uh, I just want to put aside the memory question in, in a moment. Right. It is an important one. It's important to try to understand. But you heard Evan lay out why Biden is in laying charges, why uh, Robert Hur reached that conclusion and laid it out, how different the situations yeah. are between Biden and Trump, which, I mean, my gosh, it's like your eyes glaze over because we have to say <laughs> no. this so many times, but it's important. Really important. Um, uh, Trump and his allies, of course, are going to say this is a double standard. They're already saying that. Uh, one charged, one not. Here's the question. Is this an issue politically for Biden? Um, that specific thing I don't think should be an issue because saying it's a double standard doesn't fit the facts of these two cases in really fundamental ways. Um, yes, he said he willfully held on to the information and he says oh, I was able to, able to hold on to my, my notes for books and people like President Reagan did that in the past. But the fundamental difference is, is that he cooperated fully his administration hired, you know, got a special prosecutor to investigate the president, a Republican, and that he handed over all the documents. And that is a world of difference than hoarding documents, refusing to cooperate, pushing back on, on investigations, necessitating a raid, and then trying yeah. to get people allegedly to, to obstruct justice on your behalf. It's right. a totally different moral universe. And to blur the two or to do sort of apples, you know, to, to put them side by side, I think that that's that's a moral relativism that doesn't help clarify the stakes. And obviously, case. we haven't you know seen all this go to trial. But what we've seen uh, in the uh, you know the case in Mar-a-Lago, right, is you know there's tapes of move the stuff after yeah. the day we're coming to get it and move it. And I mean, look, the cases are very different, Scott. But nonetheless, uh, that would require an attention to detail uh, by <laughs> millions and millions of people who have other things going on in their lives. It would have been better off for Joe Biden to have been indicted today than what this report turned out. 
the You're way- You're saying politically. The, yes. The number one thing, hmm. the number one anvil on the head of this campaign is the American people do not believe he has the mental acuity to serve as president today or for four more years. An independent third party comes along and says, he can't remember when he was vice president. He can't remember when his own son passed away. And I can't take this man in front of a jury because he'd be too sympathetic because he's too old and forgetful. And the jury would find that to be sympathetic. <laughs> this was politically devastating. An indictment would have been far better. Wow. Which is, what, what do you think about that? Indictments can never be better at any, in any really? case. Well, in no, Trump's not, case, they are. Every time he gets one, his polls go that's up. That's a problem. Uh, Joe Biden is <laughs> not, not Donald Trump. And, and Democrats should never aspire to be that at all in, in, in any circumstances. But I do agree. Why in the world would this language need to be included in this report? I am mm -hmm. glad that the White House responded with alacrity to say, thanks for the finding, no thanks for this, as they use the word superfluous information about Joe Biden. It is a terrible headline because most people will not pour through these documents. Mm. They're going to get the, the sort right. of sound bites, and that sound bite about his age and his mental stability, why, why include that in Okay, the so let's, let's just that's, say that's what it was. Okay, so it, it, it does, in this report, go through the cognitive um, memory and cognitivity. So I mm. said this went beyond, uh, I don't recall. Yeah. which is a standard response in a, in, in yeah. a deposition. Um, Biden, according to the report, Biden couldn't remember when he stopped serving as vice president the day of their first interview. The next interview, he couldn't remember when he began as VP, also could not remember when his son, Beau, died. And it continues to say that Biden, quote, I'm sorry, appeared to show, quote, diminished faculties. Um, okay, what, what does that mean? I mean, I'm not asking you <laughs> medically. <laughs> no, Sorry, John. Please, you. could you? Dr. No, but I mean, Dr. this is very significant. Um, you say people aren't going to read this. They're not. But no, something but, but, like but, that, but, but that's your point, is a headline. That's the problem with headline. the headlines and the narratives driving the conversation. Look, obviously, I mean, you know, it, the polls show people are concerned about Biden's age. <laughs> that is a biologic fact that only moves in one direction. Yep. That said, I do think this election will be about things broader then given the two choices, I think it'll be something about broader than one person or one personality. I think it's going to be about policies and a party. It's almost going to be a parliamentary style election. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there are questions about why, why this, this level of detail and some of the spin on the ball was put in here. But I, I just also say about Basil's point about the competing narratives here. You know, in this bizarro world we're in, people, we're talking all the time about how Donald Trump's getting stronger from his indictments. Well, I don't want to fall into the trap of saying Biden's going to be weaker because of his exoneration. Right, just because one I mean, is true does not yeah, mean the reverse. Exactly I understand right. the point. You know, uh, uh, that, uh, there's uh, better to be exonerated than indicted. He was not charged. But how can you read this and it says he willfully retained it? The pictures of the well, boxes in the garage are no different well, than the pictures of the boxes in a bathroom. Okay, sadly, I know, but, but sadly, willfully but sadly, retaining to write your autobiography well, and, versus willfully retaining for I don't know what purposes, but telling people to move them after you have a subpoena. Well, that's, 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 well, that's the thing. And, and unfortunately, if you actually read the notes of the document, it says that there are act, there are simple explanations that he's given that yep. they can actually believe and sign on to. Unfortunately, it's buried in the document. Why, is, Basil, is a comment about diminished faculties in here? I have no idea why why the need to put that in there unless the, you know somebody's you know uh, foot was on a gas or a finger on the scale whatever I'm mixing metaphors but you understand yeah. my point that I, I have no idea why you would want to put that in the document but at this it's point it's a warning it's not well, but, but, <laughs> I mean, but why put the warning but why put the warning it in is. there I mean did it's, it strike it's, you as odd I mean it, it kind of seems I mean beyond the scope th th of the this, conversation look, which is whether he willfully no, it's, classified I don't know if it's Odd, because the White House pushback was, well, you know, mm -hmm. the day he did his interview, 
It was the day after the Israel-Hamas war started. So are you telling me that the president's mental faculties are mostly diminished when he's dealing with a crisis? This, right. this That's is not vital. a good response. This like is vital information. I understand, but they this shouldn't This is vital information. It. Yeah. All right. So I have to say something, John. Now, I don't know that this is going to be the last time that we're together in this capacity. I, Certainly I not us. But, um, but, 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 you know, there's a big thing. You're moving on. Yeah. You're moving on to new adventures. Um, and I just want to say, the very beginning of the show, day one, we were together. Yeah. We were together the on day one. So year. it's been almost 13 years wow. uh, that we've been together in this way, uh, becoming personal, personal friends and, and professional. Uh, such admiration for you every step I of the way. You. No matter what story happens. I mean, something happens and you go, John. And there he was. And there you are. But meantime, during all of this, he's oh, written book after book after book. Look at that. Oh, oh we look better than ever. Can you take off the double screen, guys? <laughs> anyway, I just want to say I wish you the best because I know you just want to grow and fly. And, Got you know, we all, I, I know they you. I love you. I love the whole team. I, I greatest respect and appreciation for CNN. And You've got to keep growing, and, and there's some, some great adventures ahead. Got yes, you do. And I will say, you know, sorry and goodbye for this specific Just forum. for now. But not for this forum. That's right. All right. We love you, John. Thank you. And next, our breaking news continues. I'm going to talk to the former Trump White House attorney, Ty Cobb, his bold prediction from the beginning of the Colorado case on how the justices would rule. Does he stand by it? Plus a dramatic overhaul. Ukraine Zelensky naming a new replacement. His top commander is out and replaced a major shakeup that could alter the course of Ukraine's war with Russia. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we have breaking news. Uh, we have learned that President Biden is going to give a statement uh, at 745 Eastern. So he's going to be coming, uh, speaking to the camera. We understand thus far uh, that he is going to be giving a statement. We don't know exactly what it's about. Uh, obviously, uh, it could be uh, about what we heard today from the special counsel. Kevin Liptak is at the White House right now. Kevin, what do you know uh, it, this could be about? What should we expect here? Yeah, these remarks added very last minute to the president's schedule. 7.45 from the diplomatic reception room, and certainly it comes after this report from the special counsel, Robert Hur, which declined to bring charges against the president, but certainly raised a lot of questions about the president's memory depicting a, a president who is forgetful in that interview with Robert Hur. Now, President Biden earlier this week did say here at the White House that he would be taking questions from reporters today on Thursday. Obviously, it is now quite late in the day. The president coming out to the diplomatic reception room it's not entirely clear uh, if he will be taking our questions when he shows up there uh, mm. in front of reporters, uh, but certainly he will have a lot to talk about and a lot to say. We did hear him speak a little bit earlier about this report when he was at a retreat of House Democrats in Northern Virginia. The president really taking time to make sure that people heard the report declined to bring charges and also making the point that he sat for that interview with Robert Herr 
in the days uh, immediately following the October 7th terror attacks in Israel, making the point that he thought it was important to sit down, be fully transparent with the special counsel, uh, but also trying to emphasize that he was also dealing with this international crisis at the same time. And so right. I think what you'll hear from President Biden uh, in a few moments, if this is the topic that he is coming to speak about, is a rep repetition of that, but also perhaps more of a rebuttal of these claims about his memory, because that is what you have been hearing from mm -hmm. White House officials tonight, fuming really about yeah. that depiction, calling it inappropriate, uh, calling it out of line. And so certainly more to hear from the president when he speaks. Yeah, diminished uh, in a faculties few were the words. And Kevin, I know you literally ran to the camera. One follow, though, for you here to understand when you talk about it being in the diplomatic room, um, the way that we understand, and I know we just don't know, we don't know here right now, but they had, they had said this was going to be a statement. Um, but it mm -hmm. sounds like from where it is and from what you understand, there will be reporters in the room. So there is the possibility of questions. So it could be yes. maybe more than a statement. There will be reporters in the room. And I'll tell you, having covered these types of events with President Biden in the past, he often comes in, delivers a few minutes of remarks, uh, and then opens the room to some questions. And that is exactly what he did earlier this week when he was talking about that failed border bill. He delivered his remarks. He excruciated Republicans. Uh, but then he took some uh, questions from reporters in the room. And it was at that event that he promised reporters that he would come back later this week to take there's their questions. And so certainly this could be a venue for him to do that. The room would be set up for him to do something like that. Uh, and so we will have to see what he ends up deciding to do. But he will have the opportunity and reporters will be there in the room uh, to ask him questions. Whether he answers them or not remains to be seen. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you very much. So I just want everyone to understand here. We do expect that the president of the United States will be making a statement in about 11 minutes. This was literally just announced uh, in, right before Kevin came, a sprint to that camera. So this was not expected. It has just been added to the schedule. Uh, and the president will be speaking in a room with reporters, maybe taking questions. And it could be, we, we, we anticipate, uh, about the special counsel's decision uh, not to charge him, although saying that he did willfully retain classified documents. And in that report talked about uh, the president's, quote, diminished faculties. So we will see as we await this, because of course, we're going to be bringing you that in full live here out front. Uh, we also want to uh, focus in on the, the implications of that ruling, uh, of that decision by the special counsel, and uh, the decision that is going to be coming from the Supreme Court after today's hearing about whether Trump can remain on the ballot in the state of Colorado. And at the heart of that hearing, Trump's attorney argued that January 6th was a riot and not an insurrection. He said it was a riot, not an insurrection. For an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. And this and so riot the point that is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No, we didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either, Justice Jackson. Right? None of these criteria were met. This was a riot. It was not an insurrection. All right, out front now, Ty Cobb, the former Trump White House lawyer. Now, Ty, uh, riot and insurrection aside for the moment, you have said from the very beginning that once the Colorado Supreme Court had, had ruled that Trump was going to come off the ballot, that this would go to the Supreme Court, that they would take it up, and that they would rule 9-0 in Trump's favor. That is what you said at the beginning. Do you, from what you heard today, uh, and we did hear them all on, on audio, obviously, do you stand by that? I do. Um, I don't, you know, I can't, uh, I'm not Nostradamus, so I'm in, on the 9-0. <laughs> you know, it might be 8-1. Right. Um, it, it's certainly 7-2. Uh, Justice Kagan clearly 
was having none of uh, this today. Um, and uh, I think it's important uh, that there be, you know, at least one liberal justice, ideally three, um, in the column that uh, decides this case, because it's important that the country understand this is not a political issue. This is what the law requires. Um, the, um, um, but I, I do think that it is highly likely that it could be, you know, they will have seven, eight or nine votes and there's, they will uh, overturn this uh, quickly. I, I'm not sure they can do it in two weeks, as, uh, as Ryan suggested, but perhaps they can. I, I, I'd, say, you know, I'd say a month is a, is a good guess, plus or minus a week. All right. So you'd said the justices likely wouldn't focus on whether Trump's an insurrectionist, but they would focus more in on this issue of officer of the United States under Article 3. And obviously you heard uh, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson question that, right? Obviously, liberal justice yes. appointed by Biden said it was uh, really troubling to her that the president is not listed in Article 3 when uh, many other offices which are uh, included under that were enumerated in her words uh, there. So what did you take away from her saying that and being so specific, I'm sorry. Well, well, I think, you know, people, so the, the difficulty with construing the Constitution is common sense is not necessarily the touchstone. I mean, it really does require specific language and parsing it for legal terms of arts. So, for example, an officer of the United States, uh, that phrase is used, uh, I think, five times in the Constitution. Uh, and in virtually every instance, it's clear that it only refers to appointed uh, officers under Article 2. When you add in the fact that they took a, take a, um, as the clause says, officers of the United States who take an oath uh, to support the Constitution, mm -hmm. the support the Constitution um, oath is an Article 2 uh, required oath of officers of the United States subordinate to the president. So they're, they're, the president takes a different oath, by the way, to preserve, protect, and defend. So there are a lot of you know, yeah. legalisms uh, that go into this analysis, but I, I think that uh, I think that that I think that issue um, is is one of the potential silver bullets. The other potential silver bullet that the court spent a lot of time on today is the issue of you know the the lack of authority of the state to act unilaterally in the absence of um, uh, congressional action. Um, and Justice Kavanaugh highlighted uh, one, one of the seminal cases on this issue, yes. uh, Ray Griffin, otherwise known as the Griffin's case, uh, in which Chief Justice Chase, writing as a circuit court justice, uh, ruled in 1869, a year after the statute, or, I'm sorry, a year after the amendment was passed, that the insurrectionist law could not be enforced unless the judge who was sought to be uh, disqualified, uh, uh, unless... Congress had first passed a law. So yeah. I think uh, I think the jurisprudence is out there. They could go either route. They may go both routes, um, which might require competing opinions. I think you'll see some concurrences and, and, and perhaps a dissent. Uh, and that could slow things down a little bit in terms of the court getting everything out right. uh, in a timely way. Yeah. So, so, Ty, I want to ask you about, you know, we are waiting in, in the next five minutes, we believe. Sure. Uh, the president of the United States is going to give a statement. Uh, in the diplomatic room, uh, and obviously, as a former White House attorney, you know you, you know you know what that means. Um, so there's going to be reporters in the room. There may be questions. We we simply don't know, nor do we know what it's about. Uh, obviously, the context is the special counsel report, uh, the searing report that concluded that President Biden did willfully retain uh, classified documents, uh, but they say because he 
uh, Robert Hur, the special counsel, said because he cooperated uh, and in part because of his poor memory and his cooperation with the DOJ. That is why, uh, in part, they are are not going to bring charges because maybe a jury would conclude it was an innocent mistake. What's your reaction to reading this and to its specific focus on his memory? So that's a that's a that's a question that's very personal for me. I um, served as uh, senior counsel to Judge Adams in the independent counsel um, investigation of HUD uh, shortly after the Reagan years, and uh, we had to make a decision uh, on two cabinet officers, one of whom we declined on um, in large part because of health issues, uh, but we didn't tell the world that. Uh, so. I think it's a legitimate reason not to prosecute, uh, but I'm not sure I would have um, put it up in red lights. Uh, I think that's I think that's awkward. I do also think that um, um, Biden's cooperation is is clouded a bit by the fact that you know it's based on the fact that when documents were found in his office two years ago, uh, people alerted the proper authorities, but. You know, Biden in 2017, seven years ago, um, uh, acknowledged to his uh, uh, ghostwriter that he had all these classified documents and actually shared them with him uh, to some degree. So I think I think the cooperation uh, with the special counsel is important. I mean, they didn't throw up any roadblocks. They didn't go to court. They didn't uh, uh, destroy any documents, move any documents. Um, um, put them in the pool or <laughs> whatever yeah. happens in Mar-a-Lago. But, um, but it's, it's, it's not quite as clean as it might have been. All right. Well, Ty, thank you very much. I appreciate it. As always, Ty Cobb. And let's go back to the White House now, Kevin Liptak. So, Kevin, what, what more are you learning? We're obviously just a few minutes away from what we anticipate will be a statement and possibly questions from reporters. Right. And uh, reporters are now getting ready to head over into the diplomatic reception room here at the White House, where we will hear uh, from President Biden. Again, they added these remarks very late in the day. Uh, Just about uh, 15 minutes ago, they said the president would be speaking at 745. And this will be an opportunity for him to speak more uh, about that special counsel report, which, of course, declined to bring charges against him, but still had all of these damning uh, details that the White House is rebutting about the president's memory and about his mental faculties. And we did hear from the president earlier today speaking about this report, Mm -hmm. making clear that he sat down with the special counsel voluntarily, that he did it in the days surrounding the October 7th terror attacks in Israel. But what he didn't mention in those remarks earlier were these questions about his memory that were raised uh, in that report. So this could potentially be an opportunity for him to speak more directly to those concerns because, of course, they only reinforce some of the concerns that um, so many voters do have uh, about his potential second term. And so this will be an important moment for him. But I should say the White House has not explicitly said that that is what he is doing uh, in the diplomatic reception room. They don't say uh, in the schedule guidance exactly what he will be talking about. But certainly this is the backdrop against he, uh, which he will be appearing uh, in a couple of minutes from now, Aaron. All right, Kevin, thank you. So as Kevin finds out more, we'll go to him. And of course, so we do anticipate this will begin in just a, a few moments. You are looking right now at the diplomatic room. That's the podium where the president will be uh, speaking in, in uh, well, it could be two or three minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll see exactly when he starts and how long he goes, how this, how this plays out. John Avalon, it is significant 
that he chose. It's significant that you are back. <laughs> and I just said goodbye. And I said it would be soon. <laughs> and sooner than we thought. <laughs> uh, but here we are. And 15 minutes warning. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this decision did not come out 15 minutes ago from especially. They, they had, uh, you know, much of the day to to decide this. So what do you read into this? I think the White House and the president realized that they needed to get out in front of this. They needed to show the president in, in commanding tone, speaking crisply, taking questions, and, and, and engaging in kind of radical transparency that can nip this, this story in the innuendo in the report, the direct uh, sort of, uh, I think Ty Cobb said, sort of spin on the ball uh, that was yep. in, in questions about his memory, to address those directly in a way that people can see and not simply through press releases. I think it's a smart move. Best defense and, and is, is a good offense. Um, it is amazing, though, Basil, as we talk about this, though, I mean, you know, they did talk about diminished faculties, but the, the, the logic from the special counsel, and Ty was laying this out because he'd been in a situation where he said he had declined along with a, a special counsel to press charges because of health issues, that Robert Herr is including this because he says that in front of a jury, yeah. mm. it could make it more difficult to get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt specifically saying because of Biden's memory and mental faculty. So that's the context. That's the context, right. But, you know, to John's point, all we're talking about is is that statement, is about, right. is about Joe Biden and his mental abilities. And it is good for the president to go out there, and mm-hmm. if he's indeed going to talk about this, to handle it uh, straight on. But I would also find a way to just pivot away from it very quickly. You don't have to, don't extend the conversation about this. And that's one thing that I am mm-hmm. concerned about tonight. Because is he going to give us more that we're going to be talking about for the next few days? Instead of going out, maybe doing an event in Michigan or somewhere, what a novel idea, do a message event somewhere in the country where you can yep. actually show voters that, hey, I'm on, not only am I in in in, in fighting trim, as they say, but also yeah. being able so, to talk about your issues. John King is joining the conversation now. John, what do you make with all your decades of experience and watching this in the president of the United States coming out with a 15-minute warning um, that he's going to be giving a statement, something so sudden? Uh, well, the president's going to talk here in Washington, which I think is a key point, uh, and he's going to rebut all the criticism that he's heard from Republicans all day, because Aaron, as you've been discussing with your great group there, uh, and as Kevin pointed out from the White House, this report, the good news for the president is the special counsel said, I'm not going to press any charges here. The bad news for the president is, number one, uh, it does talk about the age issue. It talks about his memory issues and how terrible he was in that interview. And trust me, from my travels in recent months, that is a giant concern of the American people. They didn't need the special counsel's report. Demo- Democrats, Republicans, and independents, not just Republicans, Mm. asking questions, is he up to the job? Uh, So when I said he's going to give a statement in Washington, one of the things we hear on the road is, where is he? Uh, People want to see him out traveling the country more. Take the number out of it. Don't make it about his age. Make it about his vitality. Uh, Mm. Is is he up to the job physically? It's the most demanding job uh, in the world, many believe. And uh, I covered the White House for 10 years. It is a demanding job. Is he up to it? The other thing I would point out is that Joe Biden's calling card when he ran against Donald Trump was, I'm an adult. I won't do all these things. I know how it works. I'm the national security expert. I'm the Washington expert. I know the rules. Well, this report says... He blew through a lot of very important rules. Uh, so it undermines his sort of his credibility as Donald Trump is chaos. I'm the guy who knows how to do it right. Uh, and so that's part of this as well. Uh, he's the incumbent president. He's trying to say, don't bring Donald Trump back. Don't bring all that chaos back. Uh, so both on the facts of the report and the judgment about his abilities, it's damning. Damning. And so the president's going to start this conversation in Washington tonight, deliver that mm-hmm. statement. I would make the case 
that if he really wants to bend the arc, especially on the is he up to the job question, which is a real and big one out in the country, he's not going to answer that in Washington. He's only going to answer that if people see him consistently out on the road. And that, that's exactly what you were saying, Basil. But the, yeah. I, I think they scheduled this so hastily because they realized the narrative on this report was getting away from them. He has to now and throughout the entire campaign demonstrate that he has the mental acuity to be president, which people, as John said, don't currently believe. Uh, I, I would say he's probably not happy about this report. He's probably not happy about the news coverage. If we see angry Biden tonight, then this would have been a huge mistake. I think he needs to go out, acknowledge the report, uh, and p I don't know how you pivot out of it tonight, but angry Biden and rampaging at this report and this independent counsel, that, that would be a mistake. Sure. Yeah. Hey, go ahead. But he's not, you know, look, we, we don't have a rage tweeting problem with Joe Biden. I think he needs to come out and show vigor, I think, to, to John King's yes, point. Yes, the word vitality, vitality and vigor, vigor now we have used. Clarity, yep. mm -hmm. you know, clarity. He should take questions. Uh, and, then, and then I think really lean into ultimately his best argument is his record. He's been an effective and consequential president, and the contrast couldn't be clear with Donald Trump. With this, as, this, this incident as well, this shows sloppiness with classified documents. That's unacceptable. He cooperated in contrast with President Trump, but he didn't show a malicious disregard for cooperating with law enforcement. And, and that seems to be a fundamental difference. It is, though, Basil, interesting. I, I suppose when you say you, you, this, we were talking about earlier. All right, he's glad he's not charged. Mm -hmm. But you don't, sometimes you say, well, wait a minute, am I really? To, to your point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the reason, the reason isn't because, one of the main reasons is because you'd look bad on the stand because you don't remember what you did. Right. <laughs> I get it. You know, look, if you're Donald Trump, you're going to turn around and look, samesies. I did it. You did it. Let's just clear right. the table yep. and start from scratch, right? Because you can't, the, the finger pointing's over. So a lot of what I think we'll see tonight is Joe Biden trying to reset that conversation. And to John King's point, you know, if there, if the voter sees this as some kind of equivalent, then he, he, Joe Biden's got to find a way, the Democrats have to find a way yep. to make it not so, to make Donald Trump's crimes, the potential crimes, greater than anything that, that, that Joe Biden did. But the pro again, the problem is that this language about his abilities is so baked in to yep. Democrats, as, as was said before, to Democrats and independents, let alone Republicans, yep. that he's got to be able to go out and just talk about other issues that people care about in places where, they, where they're responsible. And, and John, having, you know, you, you've seen him over many years in many roles, but you have him walking into a room here right now uh, at a podium in Washington, right? But he's really addressing the American people. He's choosing to do it at uh, 7.45 p.m. Now it's 7.50, so any minute here. Uh, there are going to be reporters in the room, so he is going to have a live audience. Better for him than being in a room just with a prompter. Certainly he does better with people around him. I've seen that doing a town hall with mm -hmm. him. Um, but to make this that quick, I mean, are they, they're writing a speech. They're putting it apart. I mean, what do you think is actually going on here? Because they do know. And the problem is when everyone's looking at you to do something specifically wrong, that's sometimes when you make the mistake. Mm -hmm. Because you're so focused on not making the mistake, right? Anybody can relate to that. So, so it is, it's a fascinating moment because you're right all about that. And one of the constant pushbacks you get from Team Biden, and they have some credibility on this argument, is there you go again, right? Remember he lost the first three contests in 2020. Everybody said, 
goodbye. Yeah. Uh, Joe Biden sh shouldn't have run. This is an embarrassing way to go out. He's the president of the United States. You're going to hear him uh, in just a couple of minutes. So their team says Washington always gets it wrong. Uh, the part about this that I think is a little bit different uh, that I believe they're coming to understand is that he's the incumbent president now. So they're trying to make this all about Donald Trump. Uh, you can't make it all about Donald Trump when you're the incumbent president. Uh, and, and so uh, to the point about, I say vitality, not age. One of the interesting things when you travel and you try to bring up, say, better economic numbers or inflation's a little bit better. Uh, what about the president's leadership on Ukraine? Even if you disagree with you know, sending money to Ukraine, the, this president of the United States has done a remarkable job keeping the international coalition together for two plus years now. When you bring that up with people, some of them don't even want to entertain the conversation. Even people who maybe voted for Joe Biden because they don't think he's up to the job. So they don't want to talk about his qualifications or they don't want to talk about his record. They won't even consider it because essentially he walked into the interview room. They decided he wasn't enough for the job. So nothing else matters. Uh, I think there's sort of a threshold issue about performance that he must answer, uh, that he must reverse the opinion or at least bend the opinion of mm -hmm. a lot of people out there to get them to pay attention to the bullet points on his resume. They first have to believe the top line that he belongs right. there. And, and, but, John, I, I will just follow with you on this. Is One of the, the things that seems to be challenging is some of the things that people are now putting on him as age are things that may have been exacerbated by age, but it's also how he is, right? He's very open about how he has struggled in life, right, with a stutter. He is, you know, he's someone who often has gone down verbal cul-de-sacs and, and, and meandered into another story. That's part of who he is. That's his brand for the past 50 right. years. Right now, people see some of those things in a different light. How is he supposed to overcome that when that's actually kind of who he is? I think the reason he, the way he has overcome it for 40 plus years is to let people see, it, see a lot of it see a lot of it. So you realize some of it just is baked in, as you said. Yeah. Uh, the stutter, God bless him. I mean, the man deserves a lot of credit for fighting through that in a very public way with yes. a camera aimed at him every second of every day uh, for someone to go through that and put up with it. You know, it takes a lot of courage. And he just, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, independent, uh, you know, people with hardships have to deal with hardships. Uh, he deserves a ton of credit for that. I first covered Joe Biden in Iowa in 1987. I was out there covering Governor wow. Dukakis yeah. and went to other events. He has never been a great communicator, uh, but he is good in small settings yes. and he's a good small talker uh, and he puts you at ease if you're in a small group with him. He's never been great off the teleprompter. And yes, it's clear uh, that he's lost a couple steps in that regard as anybody that old would be. I think it's to be candid about that. Uh, I was listening to a conversation uh, with a, a doctor the other day. He said, just be candid about it, right? That, you know, just here's where, here's where I'm, yeah, this is a little harder, but look at this, look at this, look at this, point out the other things that you're doing. Yeah. Um, in this case, the specifics of this report, we're having this bigger conversation about Joe Biden and the age issue and is he up to the job and the vitality. On the substance of this, um, you know, he has to look people in the eye and uh, part of it to the conversation you're having at the table there, part of it is to like admit you were wrong. Uh, that's a hard thing for a lot of politicians to do. Uh, yeah. The American people give you a lot of grace if you say, you know, as I always say, all the perfect people out there, raise your hands. Um, you know, uh, not a lot of hands go up, right? Um, and, and so they give you a lot of grace if you actually say, wow, I screwed this up or wow, I made mistakes. Yeah. It's hard for many politicians to do that. I'm interested to see if the president does that tonight. All right, let's go back to Kevin Liptak, who's at the White House. And Kevin, uh, they had said 7.45. I mean, he often is running a little bit late, but obviously we're yeah. 10 minutes late off of that right now. What is the, the latest as you understand it? I know there are people uh, obviously all on the other side of this camera right now looking at that podium, the reporters in that room. Certainly, and they will be waiting for the president to walk in there any moment now to deliver his remarks and hopefully take their questions. But I do think it's important. And when you talk to White House officials throughout the course of the day, there is another message that I think that they will be trying to get across and that President 
Biden is trying to get across. Because if you think about it, until three o'clock today, when the special counsel report came out, this was essentially a terrible week for Republicans, particularly on Capitol Hill, sort of demonstrating uh, the inability of the House Speaker Mike Johnson to corral that caucus, the collapse of the border bill, the failure to uh, impeach the Homeland Security Secretary. And I think that if President Biden uh, comes out and says something that is not about the special counsel report, it, it could be about this attempt to turn the focus back on Republicans and back on President Trump. And if you think about what his imperative will be uh, in the election over the coming nine months, it is to focus more on Trump and to remind voters uh, of the chaos that Trump has uh, instilled in the country when he was in office himself. And you are starting to see President Biden more and more do that uh, in events at the White House and events at fundraisers on the campaign trail for a person who was, uh, you know, loath to mention Trump's name for the better part of his term so far. He is now naming him almost every day in almost every speech. And so as the president, you know, weighs this special counsel report, as he speaks against the backdrop of these findings and these quite damning revelations that her says about his memory, uh, I think there is also this desire by the White House and by President Biden to turn some of the focus on Republicans. And as he has this mm. national stage, primetime stage this evening, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he also brings that into the conversation while he has that moment. All right. And, 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 and Kevin, I will say, as, as everyone files into that room, um, do you have any sense of something like this, which was announced so hastily, it looks like the remarks are now being put on the podium, um, what sort of what went on behind the scenes uh, in these past hours for them to make a decision to do this and to do it uh, with such little warning. Yeah, and certainly I think that there was always today the uh, possibility that President Biden would come out and speak in this sort of format. And we heard him say earlier in the week that he would take questions. So this has always been sort of lingering in the ether. Uh, I do think as that special counsel report was being digested, you heard outright anger from President Biden's aides really fuming about some of those revelations that her uh, alleged about his memory. And I think that all likely coalesced into the event that we're seeing now. I, I think the message about Republicans is one that they are very eager to get out and certainly throughout the course of this week, whether it was the failure on Tuesday to pass the bill that had the border money or border changes in addition to the Ukraine money to today, uh, when there are all these other developments on the Hill, there was this imperative, I think, among President Biden's aides to get him behind a podium and to get him talking about some of these issues. But certainly, right, you know, Kevin, there is always a lot of I will of interrupt you. That, uh, the yeah. President of the United States, Joe Biden, is now well, speaking. Before I take your questions. That's it for this episode of Aaron Burnett Out Front. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio, or of course, in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 
and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.